Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. By the time you have a toddler, if you're still having sleep challenges, man, you're tired. You are so tired, right? Yeah. And honestly, I... I give props to the parents that I work with, with toddlers, because they are the most generous people that I know, right? They've given so much time and to their toddlers, either getting them to sleep or with the night waking. It's kind of impressive. But at the same time, I want to remind them that they are important people too. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 188. We are talking today about how to get your baby to sleep with Sarah Mitchell. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years, and I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership. I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend. I am so glad you're here, or maybe you were a brand new listener. So a very special welcome to you. In just a moment, I am going to be sitting down with Dr. Sarah Mitchell, who is a sleep expert, and she empowers parents to teach their babies and toddlers to sleep by educating parents on age-appropriate sleep needs and sleep teaching. 
And she, Sarah thinks there's no one way to raise your child or get them to sleep, but not to forget that you are an important person too. And we're going to be talking about this. So, you know, this is, makes the quality and quantity of sleep, it makes such a huge, huge impact on our lives. And it can be a, you know, a very um, controversial topic. And it's, this is the first time we've ever talked about it here on the Mindful Mama podcast. But I think it's so, so important that we value ourselves and our own sleep and our own sanity, because that's, if we about to lose it, sleep has a big piece of that, right? We need to be able to sleep. So let's think about what is the the middle path of this? How can we do this? So there are some important takeaways that I want you to listen for. Um, number one, the way we sleep is learned. And number two, there are two main reasons why babies don't sleep well. So you're going to learn about that. And then you're going to learn very importantly about the power of La Pause. So very excited for you to hear this episode of the podcast. And before we dive in, I just want to let you know that Raising Good Humans is available for pre-order now. Yay! So if you order it and find it, you can then go to RaisingGoodHumansBook.com, which is linked to on our website, and get some book bonuses that we are going to offer you and we're going to be having a live event for the book and things like that. So get in on it. Go to RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. There's links there to order it. And then you can sign up for your book bonuses. So cool. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. All right. Now join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Sarah Mitchell. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here to talk about moms and sleep. Yes, yes. It's such an important subject. We need sleep so desperately. And you have dedicated your work to helping helping babies sleep, helping the therefore parents sleep. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this, and you're the first, very first sleep expert on the Mindful Mama podcast in a hundred over 180 episodes or something, right? Or 170 episodes. And um, the reason why I wanted to bring you on is because you have a very common sense, practical point of view that takes into mind both the needs of the baby and the needs of the parent. And I really, really appreciate that it's it's not all just very one-sided. But before we get into that, I want to know about like, how did you get into... (laughs) How did you get into baby sleep and and becoming passionate about helping babies get to sleep? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a chiropractor by training. I've always been really interested in health and I'm always needed. I'm someone who's needed a lot of sleep growing up. And so when I had my child, you know, I was prepared to do natural parenting. I had a midwife and a doula at my son's birth. And I really believed in co-sleeping and feeding on demand. And I really wanted to follow an attachment parenting philosophy. Like it just kind of made sense to me. But it didn't really work out so well. And I was nursing him back to sleep every two hours through the night. And I was exhausted. And I was very well prepared for parenthood, or so I thought, because I had all this you know, health education training, and I'd taken classes in pediatrics and obstetrics and all these other different anatomy and physiology topics. 
But then when he wouldn't sleep, I just didn't know what to do. And I remember calling my girlfriend and being like, okay, how do you, how do you get kids to sleep? <laughs> you, you think it should be this quick question. And I get it all the time on my Instagram account. Like, hey, my son, you know, won't do this. Any tips? Question mark. And it's <laughs> such a, you know, a, such a larger conversation. So it was kind of a shock that he wouldn't sleep because I thought I was so knowledgeable. And so at that point, I just you know, use my academic training and read everything I could about sleep habits and sleep needs by age and all the different types of techniques. And I implemented a plan for my son, which was life changing, right? I remember the first night he slept four hours in a row. I was like, oh my gosh, like you just keep waking up because you're like, is he awake? Is he awake? But it was life changing. Um, And then the feeling of empowerment that comes with that when you're feeling like you're really connected to their true needs and you're meeting them is so empowering that it's something that I continue to want to share with other parents, be that be it second time parents or first time parents. And so that life experience of having a lack of sleep and feeling confused and overwhelmed about what to do and moving through to feeling empowered and confident that I had and the ability to help other people was really life changing for me. And that's when I made the segue into being a sleep consultant. So what don't we understand about how babies sleep? What are we missing about how babies sleep? Well, it's such a good question. And here's the first philosophical challenge that a parent faces is that sleep seems to be so natural. It's something we all need. It's a biological need. But the crazy thing is, is that the way we sleep is learned, right? Mm -hmm. So we're inadvertently teaching kids what sleep looks like those first few months of life. Mm. And the other thing that is crazy is that while sleep seems so natural, to actually get your children to sleep well feels really unnatural, Mm. right? So if if we're wanting to just like, you, you just wanted it to feel good, you wanted to meet his needs, you wanted to do all these things, but it, it takes a little bit of kind of feeling uncomfortable and, and going against some of our uh, what feels good to be able to get babies to sleep. I mean, I can relate to that in a lot of ways because that's what mindfulness meditation is in, in so many ways. It's like sitting still with the uncomfortable things that are arising just because you said you would sit still for these five minutes. It's this weird, like kind of a natural thing to do if you think about it, but it, it, it gives all these benefits. And, Exactly. That's an excellent parallel. And if, you know, if you break it down into two main pieces, for babies and toddlers, there's two main reasons why kids don't sleep well. And the first one is that they're not getting enough sleep. So it's the basic tenant of sleep to get sleep. The more well-rested someone is, the easier it is to get them to fall asleep and then stay asleep. So when I see kids that wake up every one or two hours, they get stuck in this vicious cycle, right? Because they're not getting enough overnight sleep. Even though they're in their crib for 11 hours, they woke up so many times, it wasn't quality sleep. So then it's harder to get them to nap and to take longer naps. And then they're tired, overtired by bedtime, and they just get stuck in this negative feedback. Mm. Okay. Oh, good. I'm so glad to know that that was true, that sleep begets sleep thing, because that's what I was like. I was like, sleep begets sleep. Like, I'm, you know, we keep these like early bedtimes for till our kids were so much older than, than so many of our friends. But I was like, oh, no. They need right. They really and in society, it. doesn't that seem unnatural, like that we have these early bedtimes, like the kids are missing out on social time, so to speak. But really, it's 
it is what they need. I know. I remember thinking like we have this community like uh, camp, summer camp thing. And like uh, the, always the evening night thing that the like showcase of summer camp would start at like seven o'clock at night. And I was like, and the camp goes from when kids are, to be fair, goes from when kids are three to when they're like 12. But like when my child was like three, four, five and six, I was like seven o'clock at night. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. How I, you know, bedtimes in like half an hour. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And then is it worth it? Right. Yeah. So we let them stay up late, but then they still get up at the same time the next day. Uh, and then and we now they're stop. crankier. Okay. So sleep yeah. does get sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first reason kids don't sleep so well. Babies and toddlers is overtired. And then the second reason is that they have some sort of what we call a sleep crutch. So it's something external that helps them relax down into sleep. And so that might be motion. So being rocked or sleeping in the stroller, it's sucking either from a breast, a pacifier or a bottle or touch co-sleeping or being held to sleep. And so they fall asleep like that at bedtime and then all humans surface in the night, right? Some kids just more so than others because they're overtired, but all humans wake up in the night and then they cry out because they need that same feeling or that same look to fall back into sleep. Mm. So it's overtired and sleep crutch are the two main reasons. Um, you know, kids have trouble sleeping. So they're developing habits right away. And the brain is just kind of repeating these habits, just just like we do. We're repeating mm. habits all the time. Okay. And, and it goes back to something you spoke about earlier about like, you really want to do the best you can to be a parent. You want to meet all their needs. And often that comes with, I can't let my baby cry at all. And so I hear a peep or two and I mute that with the breast or the pacifier or whatnot. And usually you know, what that often does is it, it mutes the true need. Maybe that child had to burp. Maybe that child was legitimately hungry. Um, what, what, or maybe they're overtired, right? Because overtired can sometimes also mimic like colic in the early, early months. But letting them cry seems so wrong, right? It feels so wrong. And, it, and it's also difficult because letting them cry, well, where is this going? I have no plan of attack. I don't know if this is going to work or not. Are these tears going to be in vain? And so that's how I help parents is I'll, when they're planning. I'm like, this is where this is going to go. This is what it, you know, most kids, this is what it looks like. And no one wants to hear their baby cry. I didn't want to hear my baby cry. Heck, my baby at four months weighed 20 pounds <laughs> because I nursed him. Every time he made a peep, I was like, oh, he's hungry. And I, I didn't want to hear him cry. And so I nursed him back to sleep. Right. So I think it's probably helpful here to talk about crying it out because I can hear the listener in my mind who's saying, uh-oh, this lady, Sarah, is talking about babies crying. I am not letting my baby cry it out. You know, I don't want to be cruel to my child. I don't want to damage my relationship. Um, so let's just like talk about that right away. Yeah. Like what, what, what is your position on crying it out? What, what yeah. goes on with that? Mm -hmm. Well, first off, my position on parenting is there's no one way to raise your child. You got to do what feels right for you. But let's not forget the people that I work with are waking up like one, once every hour, if not two hours, right? So these are really, really tired people who need to make a change for their health. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the second part of that question is cry it out. What does that mean to you? Because there are a lot of different different definitions out there. And to me, cry it out means to close the door and not go back in and let my child cry themselves to sleep. And that is not something that I believe in because I practice like respectful parenting and mindful parenting. I believe that every child deserves to be heard and acknowledged, but at the same time, I have certain boundaries. And so with, with sleep training, you can teach your child to sleep while being in the room or being beside them 
you just might not be, you know, nursing them to sleep or giving the reinserting the pacifier 15 times at night. You may have a different boundary than your neighbor, but your child will still cry because they're frustrated that they're not getting what they want because there's definitely preference starts to come into it even at four months of age, but also they might be confused like what's happening here. You can offer comfort to those tears without, you know, putting them to sleep. Mm, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have and he's done some things for it, but recently started using Nutrafol. And oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about and going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over one million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol's supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code MINDFULPARENTING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. Dot com promo code mindful parenting. That's nutrafol.com promo code mindful parenting. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Okay, so if we're, so kind of what I'm hearing you say is that 
okay, they're, they're either not getting enough sleep or they're using some kind of crutch. And probably most of us have inadvertently given our child some kind of crutch. I remember feeling like at first we were like, we're not going to use this pacifier. And then we're like, oh my God, I'm tired of being the human pacifier. So we were so thrilled when, when she took the pacifier. And then I remember like months or a year later when there were like six pacifiers in the, in, on the floor beside her crib. <laughs> Desperately, like feeling around on the floor in the middle of the night for like one of the six pacifiers. So, what are some of the better ways then that we could go about this? Mm -hmm. So, one thing I teach in my newborn class is to practice putting your child down awake but calm. And I, because the fine line comes when all the books and everything say to put them down drowsy but awake. And you can do that sometimes. If you're, if you're making them drowsy, you've rocked them, nursed them, had them suck on something, right? So you've kind of done the work for them, and then they're in your arms, and then you're transferring. So as they get older, they're like, they wake up, and they're like, hey, this isn't where I was when I fell asleep. And so you get more tears because of that. And so at the beginning, one great habit to practice is putting your newborn down in her bassinet, awake but calm and having her fall asleep in there rather than on someone. So just start practicing some good habits from the beginning. With my second child, I was like, I am not going through that heck again with the terrible nighttime sleep that I had with my son. So with my daughter, I started doing this from the day she was born. I always met her needs. I picked her up lots. I cuddled her. I let her sleep on me one or two naps a day, but I started putting her in her bassinet to sleep for at least the first nap from the very beginning. So she was used to falling asleep on a flat surface rather than on someone, rather than with a crazy crutch. And I would put my hand on her and rock her, but I was rocking her in the bassinet so she could fall asleep there. So that's Mm -hmm. one, if you have a newborn, that's one easy thing that you can start to do today. And it's no tears. She cries, she fusses, you pick her up, calm her, and you put her back down. I love this because it's so reasonable. You know, you're not saying every single nap has to be in this place or blah, 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 blah. Like when you have a newborn, you're completely tethered to the house. If that's the case, like it was great. Like the Ergo baby carrier was like my number one best item ever, you know, to just go for a hike and have the baby sleep the whole time. It was brilliant. But I, so I love what you're saying about like, yeah, sometimes they could sleep on you and sometimes, but you know, making a habit of taking some time to just have a, have them sleep on this flat surface. So, and even, I mean, I can imagine even for the parents who, you know, maybe want or choose to co-sleep, like this could be a, a great option just so you don't always have to, you know, just so there's some, some level of independence, at least there, right? Exactly. And independence yeah. is the right word. And one, one sign that, you can use to know when what you've been doing is, you know, maybe not working as well is somewhere around three to four months when you're trying to rock your baby to sleep and they're really squirmy, you know, they're getting ready. They, they, they're ready to be more independent. And that's when you can start putting them down more. Um, if you can do that before that, obviously that's better, but you know, they, as they get older, they want more independence and they are capable. And this is where as a first time mom, I went wrong. First-time parents can be unsure if their child is actually capable. Oh, so yeah. This, that's <laughs> This is the big mental shift, right, is when you move, when you decide that the way your child and you are sleeping just isn't working well 
for you as a unit. This is what I like to think of it as. Parents and child or mom and baby as a unit. Is this dynamic working for both of us? Is mom starting to feel resentful that she's waking up every couple of hours to nurse back to sleep? Mm-hmm. Well, if she's starting to feel resentful, it's, it's time to make a change, right? Well, what if mom is in denial that she's resentful? <laughs> mom, well, is, mom is resentful, but mom says, oh, society tells me I must not yes. be resentful. So we're just like in denial about it. I guess that's a whole other problem. That's a whole other, that is a whole other <laughs> problem. That is a whole other problem. Yeah. Um, here in Silicon Valley, right? I work with a lot of moms that are going back to work after four months and you know, they are going back to high demanding jobs. So they really need their kids to be sleeping better. And after four months, I believe that they are capable. Like a a four month old could sleep 11 hours with one or two night feeds, but you can get at least four hour, five hour, six hour stretches in there. Um, So, which is really interesting to parallel my experience in Canada where you get a whole year off. I worked more with kids, with parents of eight month olds and nine month olds because they have the whole year off. They tell themselves, oh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just keep going. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I don't mind getting up so much at night. And so many times I was dealing more with like three nighttime wake-ups at age eight months or nine months. And here in the States, I find it's like four months, five months because mom has to get back to work. We don't have the same luxury here of Mm. waking up so much at night. Mm -hmm. Which is another reminder of that for all the things, you know, I teach here in the podcast about self-care and our mindfulness and things like that, there are changes in the system, right? That could benefit everybody that uh, we, that could, we could really, um, you know, with all our emphasis in our culture on in, you know, individualism and going it alone, like we could be helping each other out a lot, lot more. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, that whole criticism of other parents, the way I look at it is that, you know, you've been promoted to the most important job you've ever had. You're now CEO of baby XYZ and you have had no training and no previous experience. And it's the most important job of your life. That's very stressful. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you see someone else doing it differently from you and often being somewhat insecure. We can take that as a criticism of the way that we're doing things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's why there's so much mom shaming that goes out there goes on out there. Um, So, you know, put your blinders on and just focus on your family and what are your needs? Yeah. Yeah. What are your needs? And and I think this is an important piece to have in this conversation because, you know, what you're saying, I love this idea of thinking yourself as a dynamic, as a unit, right? Or even your whole family as a unit, because the truth is that, you know, you, your sleep is, is the most important thing to you being, uh, any kind of parent at all, you know, like, especially as time goes on, like, you you know, having our cup full is what allows us to then be able to respond respectfully and mindfully and patiently with our kids. Like the, the number one predictor of yelling is your own personal stress levels and your own personal stress levels. The number one predictor of that in some ways is your sleep. Right. So, you know, we can't overestimate really the importance of the sleep. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. You have much more patience when you've had at least a good six hour stretch or a full night's sleep. And by the time you have a toddler, if you're still having sleep challenges, man, you're tired. You are so oh tired. Right. Yeah. And um, honestly, I, 
I give props to the parents that I work with, with toddlers, because they are the most generous people that I know, right? They've given so much time and to their toddlers, either getting them to sleep or with the night waking. Um, it's kind of impressive. But at the same time, I want to remind them that they are important people too. And it's okay to do some sleep teaching not sleep training. I want to call it sleep teaching. Let's start a movement here because that's what we're doing. We're teaching our kids to sleep. We train dogs. We teach our children. And it's okay to do that so that everyone in your house can be healthier and happier. It never fails that a parent describes their child's temperament as happy on my intake form. And at the end, they're like, wow, I can't believe how much less fussy she is during the day. Everyone's just happier. And I wish I had done this sooner is another mm -hmm. common phrase that I hear. I like that. I like that sleep, sleep teaching. I mean, and I could see that like we did some, uh, we had to do some sleep teaching with my daughters and I remember, and afterwards just, we were all so much happier. So you talk about the pause. Tell me about what is the pause? The pause, right. So in my experience, I'd read all these midwife books and it was, you know, never let your baby wake for a feed, wait, wait for a feed. So in the night when I heard him, I'd be like, oh, he's hungry. And I would jump up and I would feed him. And in hindsight, he probably wasn't awake half of those times and I was interrupting his sleep. And so I learned and I teach this to my clients is that you wait, la pause, wait three minutes when you hear him or her in the night. Is my child really awake or was she asleep when she made those noises? Or can I just wait and see what happens? You know, maybe I've been working on that one nap in the crib in the morning where she puts herself to sleep. Maybe she could do this in the night. So not jumping up, just giving your child the opportunity to self-soothe and see what happens. And then, so, and then attend to her. This is so brilliant. Like I can't, you know, it, that's just, it's such a tiny, tiny shift but it's such a powerful shift, which is like, give your child a chance to have solve their own problem, to be a little independent, be there, you know, be ready to, to be a helper. But, but don't assume that, you know, that it's always every second, 100% all the time, your problem. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Give yeah. them the chance. Yeah. And before I knew the name of it, I was practicing like respectful parenting. It's the Rye philosophy, R-I-E. Um, I love Janet Lansbury. She's a teacher that teaches you that, you know, your children is, a, your child's allowed to have really big emotions and we do not have to mute those tears. We can sit there patiently, compassionately, let them be heard and acknowledged, but I don't have to stop those tears. That's not my job. I don't want someone to mute my emotions, so why would I do it to my child? Um, granted, we're talking about kids four months of age and older. Obviously, with your newborn, you're going to be doing having a different approach. But um, where I see a lot of parents kind of fall off the rails is um, they go traveling or a child gets sick or maybe they were just never a great sleeper and now they're a toddler and their lungs are so much louder. Mm. And they just completely derail, totally throw a gal off her game. Like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. I need to stop these tears. It's like, this is what toddlers do. They are supposed to test our boundaries and we are supposed to acknowledge them and then stay calm, cool, and collected as we maintain our boundary, right? Someone gave me the example one time, you know, if grandma had only given your little guy Pop-Tarts when she was visiting, you know, and now your son only wants to eat Pop-Tarts. Would you let him? 
No, you wouldn't. Is he going to cry about it? Very likely. And will you sit there and be calm, cool, and collected? Yes, absolutely. I can't remember, Sarah. When does night weaning usually happen? So for breastfed kids, it varies quite a bit. It can be anywhere from eight to 10 months, and it's related to solid intake. So with breastfed kids, you want to have three meals and two snacks established. So it's usually somewhere around eight or nine months. And there's definitely some outliers. There definitely are some kids that go earlier if they have really, mom has really fatty uh, milk. And for formula fed kids, as early as five months is possible. Because with formula, um, you know, it has, it's delivered in a bottle. You can count the ounces. So you have more confidence going into the night about how, what your child's caloric intake has looked like that day. And in the night, there's the pause with the formula bottle. It takes a minute to actually go get the bottle. And that often gives, gives formula fed kids a chance to self-soothe. Um, Obviously, I believe as fed is best, whatever you want to do, whatever's working for your family in that domain. But one thing to know is that putting your child on formula won't necessarily solve your sleep problems. Just know that. <laughs> I know. We're all kind of like doing this the math in our heads there. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's oh. a few more months. That's a few more months. Right? That's, that's a significant yeah. chunk of time. I think I remember like giving my child like smooth nut butters. <laughs> right before bed and all stuff like yeah this will, this will stick in your stomach longer like you absolutely <laughs> yeah great idea but just to give you an example though I just worked with a nine-month-old who took two ounce bottles every two hours through the night of formula oh. so formula won't solve all your woes right it's all about sleep habits setting your child up for success with timing and knowing how to fall asleep and then the food is like the the third layer to all of that well hey there busy mama Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Okay. All right. So then tell us about timing. What, what, 
What are we getting wrong about timing? Yeah. So one thing they should tell you in the hospital when you leave there is that your newborn really needs to be back asleep after about 45 minutes of being awake. And often that's eating, burping, and then falling back asleep. Mm -hmm. And by three months of age, that child needs to be back asleep after being awake for about an hour and a half. And what happens after an hour and a half is they turn into pumpkins. <laughs> I'm just joking, but they, their demeanor really does change. It becomes harder to get that child to settle and then stay asleep. And so on my website, I have a sleep chart, sleep summary by age. It's one of the first teachings that we talk with about parents is timing of sleep. So for example, like a one-year-old, can stay awake probably about four hours maximum. So they would have two naps. So that means if she woke up from her last nap at three o'clock in the afternoon, you want to have her asleep four hours later by seven o'clock. And if you're pushing bedtime back to eight o'clock because you want dad to be able to come home and have a visit, well, that's fine. But now you've increased your risk of taking a long time to settle night waking and waking up early in the morning, like five o'clock. So is it worth it for you and your family to deal with that? Right. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. So you have a chart so people can sit, see my child is this age. This is how much time they need to be awake during the day and kind of figure it all out. Yeah, absolutely. I don't teach in my online class or my one-to-one private consultations. I don't teach a fixed schedule where nine o'clock is nap time. And that's because fixed schedules in my mind, they kind of set people up to fail because we can't control how long kids sleep for. So if your nap is cut short one day because they're teething or they poop themselves awake, do you now wait until two o'clock for the next nap, even though they're going to be exhausted by that time? That kind of sets you up to fail. So I don't teach that. I teach a flexible schedule that uses these awake times to help guide you every day so that you're building parenting skills to handle all these different little sleep regressions that come up, right? And sleep regressions are really progress. Your child's either growing physically or neurologically, um, and they can throw sleep off because your child is distracted by something going on in their world. And so I teach you the skills to kind of guide you through all of those things. Mm, All right, cool, cool. So, and, and it's had amazing reviews and things like that. Okay, so just to recap, we want to teach our kids to sleep because they're learning the way we sleep is learned. So we have to we have to think about you know teaching them to sleep and kind of putting our children down awake but calm. Um, now, what happens? How, what do you suggest parents do when the kid like circumstances happened? You know, your second cousin had a wedding, whatever, and now you're child's been awake like a crazy long time. They're overtired and psychotic and screaming. (laughs) What do you do do in those situations? Yeah. So when we're doing actual sleep teaching, we like clear our schedule and we try and really be consistent and be home for sleep time so that we set everybody in the family up for success. After we've got those desired self-soothing skills, then we can be a a little bit more flexible. So when we went to our cousin's wedding, maybe we let them stay up later, but then they might need more help falling to sleep. So that might, I night, I might have to rock my little guy down to give him a hand and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we meet that child where she is at that moment. We know she has the established skills, but how can we help her out right now? Since we kind of set her up to fail by keeping her up too late. Right. Mm. Okay. All right. So just kind of triage those moments as, as best you can. What do you say to things like, um, 
I'm going to throw a couple things at you, like uh, swaddling. What's your what? How do you feel about swaddling? Swaddling for newborns is a must. It's fantastic, <laughs> absolutely. And you want to stop swaddling when your child starts to show signs of rolling, which is usually around four to five months of age. And the earliest you can do like official sleep teaching is about four months of age, and that's related to the moral reflex, that startle reflex, which the swaddling helps decrease. That's usually when that that reflux tends to disappear. And they're also getting more hand control at that age because your kids need their hands available to them to learn how to self-soothe. So swaddling is great for newborns, but I think it should be disappearing around four months. All right. Thumb sucking then. It sounds like you might be pro thumb sucking. I am pro thumb sucking. <laughs> thumb suckers are the best sleepers because they <laughs> self-soothe. They can find that thumb anytime in the night. I've had two thumb suckers and parents often worry about like dental deformation or having to wean from it and really it's dependent on your child's temperament my my daughter stopped sucking her thumb around three and a half when we set her up with the right motivation we didn't use fear tactics we're like hey if you can stop sucking your thumb for x y and z then you know let's look at this little lego because she's old enough to understand that and we started talking about you know the germs that are on her hands that are putting her in the mouth And so that worked for her. My son was a bit more uh, difficult because he has some sensory processing issues. And so that's a real crutch for him. Um, But we got there eventually. And just like the nail stuff that you can put on, the nail polish that tastes bad or the Band-Aids. But with any of these changes, you set your child up for a success by really talking to them about what's going to happen and then following through and not giving up because the first couple nights of any change can be challenging, right? So my thumb sucker who was three, who gave it up, you know, I offered her more comfort that night because her sleep crutch is gone. So what's mm-hmm. she going to do in the interim? Well, I'm going to help her. I'm going to sit beside her and pat her a little bit to help her fall back asleep and just give her reassurance that she's not alone. So mm-hmm. when you're going to go cold turkey like that, you sometimes need to have some sort of a substitute. So I was the interim for that time. And then I moved myself slowly further and further away and she got used to sleeping on her own again. Um, when my daughter was a baby, at first we, we co-slept for the first three months and then um, we moved her away and we were wanting her to, to sleep, you know, sort of off my body. And so we <laughs> took this um, flat, um, this like, it was like a little soothing blanket, you know, it's like a square of fabric based soft fabric, basically with a sheep head on it. Mm. And um I wore the that in my under my shirt for like a couple nights and a day awesome. or something to yeah. give it my scent. And then we gave it to her and we called it flat sheep. Anyway, she loved flat sheep. She, you know, she she hung on to flat sheep. And in fact, she, she still sleeps with flat sheep today. She's 12. So she's, you know, flat sheep became a member of the family in a, in a way, you know, that was yeah, <laughs> so, so very, very helpful because there's a lot of tactile, um, aspects to sleep. And one of the most common self-soothing skills is taking a piece of material like flat sheep and stroking him between her fingers. And that helps her relax. And so I often recommend a lovey if the parent is comfortable with it. We call them loveys or security blankets. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't want any kind of blanket in the crib until about 12 months of age. Um, But yeah, I definitely recommend it to a parent if it's small enough, no bigger than six inches by six inches, and they have some hand control and they have core strength and they're rolling so they can move their body around um, to have that really comforting 
action of stroking the material and rubbing it on their face too. Did your daughter do that? Yeah. I mean, she would just sleep with it right near her head. Yeah. And if you, I, there is something innate about sleep and having your face squished up against something. <laughs> like I, I get so many pictures of kids in the crib with the blanket on their face. It's universal. And I think about, you know, newborns, they sleep on your chest and their cheek is pressed right up against you. Right. And there's definitely a turning point in kids sleep when they learn to roll and roll on their stomach and then they squish their cheek into the mattress as well. So there's, there's definitely something there about that. Oh my God. This is bringing up such cute images for me. Right. (laughs) So, um, what, what do you think about co-sleeping? I think if it works for you, awesome, right? Like, I don't think there's any one way to do it. I tried it as well the first few months. And then there was the night where I could hear him crying and I was rustling through the sheets trying to find him and I couldn't find him. That caused sheer panic. And then I realized that I had stowed him in the bassinet at the last feed and he was perfectly fine. But that really scared the bejesus out of me and we didn't go sleep after that. Um, And I personally just, I'm a light sleeper now. I think a lot of moms become really light sleepers after they have kids. And Mm -hmm. I found just my kids would move move around and I just can't. I just don't sleep well. I love co-sleeping personally. Like my husband goes away and I invite a six-year-old or an eight-year-old to come sleep with me. But I know I I don't sleep as well. But gosh, I love them. And they're so adorable. Like who doesn't love watching their child sleep? Like I think we love them even more when they're asleep. I know. I think we do even more. Yeah. Yeah, I love that too. Um, Yeah. When we co-slept, for the first couple of months with each child because it was just easier to nurse. But we wanted to be really safe about it. So we tucked our sheets in like way down in so they could only come up to our waist. And so so, so we we would like kind of spend the whole night like in vain tugging at these sheets trying to get them like over <laughs> we both yeah. remember that part as like a yeah. really frustrating you were, you were, It was safe, but maybe not so comfortable, right? <laughs> not totally. Yeah. And, and I find in my practice that most of the co-sleeping parents I have are doing so out of desperation, not necessarily by choice. It's like mm-hmm. it got so bad that we just tried anything and we found that she slept better with us. So we're sticking with that, even though in a lot of cases, they're nursing back to sleep every couple of hours. Um, But yeah, no right or wrong way to raise your baby. Do what's right for you. And if it's working for you, awesome. But if it's not, just don't forget that you're an important person too. Yeah. Yeah. There are So I love this because what you've, you've given us so many ways, like there are ways to teach our kids to sleep better. There are better habits that we can kind of cultivate and yeah, and it and it does come down to that that shift that this is um, a dynamic that your needs are just as important as mm-hmm. as your child. And I love the pause. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Um, this is wonderful, Sarah. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate your middle path of um, kids <laughs> towards yeah. kids sleeping um, uh, approach of. That right in the middle of like respecting everybody's needs. I think that's really helpful. So I'm I'm so glad we could we could have you come on when people are are looking for you. What website should they head to? www.helpingbabiessleep.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I share as many sleep tips as I can on there. And I do one-to-one personal consultations, but I also have an online class at a lower price point to help those 
who may not have the funds or don't think they need the personal, but just want a template to kind of follow. It's an online class that's two and a half hours of video and you get a 60 page manual as well. And then you can book a follow-up call with me as well because it's great to read a book or take a class, but you always have questions that pertain to your particular situation. So I wanted to be able to be accessible um, for those types of questions. And that's on the website as well. So cool. Well, thank you for the work that you do. And and thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for all your great work, helping educate moms that they are important too, and how to just manage our hectic, hectic lives. Like as a mom, I feel like we have so many pulls from us from so many different directions. So thank you for the work that you do. Wow, I needed the pause so much when my kids are little. And I love Dr. Mitchell's approach of the middle path of sleep teaching. Yes, you know, we can, you know, we we need, this is such an important issue. We need to to follow this middle path and, and have compassion for ourselves as we have compassion for our children. So, so, so important. So I hope if you like this episode that you will share it around, share it with other tired, exhausted parents. Um, and, uh, and, feel, and if you liked it, also leave me a review, let me know. And I'd love to talk to you about it. And before I sign off, I just want to let you know that, uh, again, that the Raising Good Humans book page is live and Raising Good Humans, my book is available for pre-order. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about that. And it is also about offering compassion to ourselves so that we can offer more compassion to our children. Um, so I'm, I've been loving the outpouring of support and response about the book. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Makes a me feel amazing to hear all the great messages from you. Um, so, so that's wonderful. Thank you. And, um, and I hope that you have a beautiful week. I hope that you <laughs> get some nice restful sleep and therefore feel calmer and more peaceful and happier and able to enjoy parenting and enjoy these, these precious moments that fly by so quickly. Um, So I'm wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. Thank you so, so much for listening. Namaste. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking